Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Good evening and welcome to Channel 127. This is Tell Me Everything, the little show that brings good trouble to the right-wing bubble. I hope you had a great Wednesday. We are, for the next three hours, live. We are interactive. And we would love to have you take your place at our table. Our number is 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. We got a great one tonight. It's been a very packed day, and we would love to hear from you guys. Uh, Bob Seska will be here tonight. The God Squad's going to be here. Dr. Tracy Pearson's going to be here. Uh, Julie Burkhardt's going to be here to talk about abortion access. And, well, let's just get to it. Chris Hauselt's our executive producer. The great Thea Harper is our associate producer. We are at 866-997-4748. Hello to everyone listening live, our evil army of the night. We love to hear from you guys. And hello to our daywalkers, all y'all who listen on demand and on the podcast and on the on the app. It's great to have you guys with us as well. There's so much to get to tonight. We have a lot of guests. We're going to dive right into it. We invite you guys to, you know, call in and class up the show all night long. Let's uh, talk about <laughs> Donald Trump's campaign in 2024. The right wing White America is not tired of punching itself in the face. Senator Susan Collins says she will not endorse former President Trump, even if he becomes the Republican Party's nominee for president, which means the countdown clock has begun to the inevitable Susan Collins endorsement of Donald Trump for president. We are 24 hours after Trump won the New Hampshire primary, not impressively, and his claim that he won it two times previously when he lost it two times previously, and the U.S. media laughing off this rejection as reality as, you know, it's just the shit the big guy does. What are you going to do? Meanwhile, Jake Sherman reported in Punchbowl News in a closed-door meeting, Mitch McConnell confirmed that Donald Trump told Republicans in Congress not to pass immigration reform because he wants to run on the issue. I know. What a shock. The Republicans don't actually care about a crisis. They care about exploiting the crisis to get more power. Can you believe it? McConnell said we don't want to do anything to undermine him. They don't want to fix immigration. They want to exploit a crisis. Meanwhile, the United Auto Workers endorsed Joe Biden for another term. They said he's earned their support. Unions as a whole have generally endorsed Democrats, but over the, over the past few decades, we've seen a lot of individual members increasingly support authoritarian Republicans, especially in the Midwest. However, today is a story I want to call, Here's Why Americans Leave Religion. 
Now, there's a new study from Pew Research. Maybe you heard about it. It says that the religiously unaffiliated, that's that's the atheists and the agnostics and those who say their religion is nothing in particular. They're believers, but they don't belong to an unauthorized fan club of God. Well, the nuns, they're called. The no affiliation is now the largest cohort in the U.S. They're more prevalent among American adults than Catholics, only 23 percent. Evangelical Protestants are only 24 percent. Now, 28 percent check none in their box of religious affiliation. And researchers call them nuns. It's kind of confusing when you hear about religious nuns, because I thought, oh, like my mom's people. Now, back in 2007, the nuns were only 16% of Americans. But Pew's new survey shows that number has risen dramatically up to 28%. They asked the people, what do you believe? And they found that the nuns are not a uniform group. Most nuns do believe in some kind of higher power. Very few attend any kind of religious service. Maybe that sounds like several million Americans you know. And they aren't anti-religion. Most of the nuns say religion does some harm. A lot of them say religion does good. And, and they have positive views of science. More positive than those who are religiously affiliated, but they reject the idea that science explains everything. That's it. People are fleeing organized religion. And here's three stories from today's headlines from three different states that illustrate why Americans are giving up on organized religion, not because of God and not because of Jesus, but because of intense hypocrisy. How Christianity is under attack in this country from people who claim to be Christian. It's not the atheists, not the Muslims, not the secular humanists. Look at Alabama. Let's begin there. This week, Alabama is set to carry out the first ever execution by nitrogen hypoxia on death row inmate Kenneth Eugene Smith. Maybe you've heard about it. It's an experimental method. It's so disgusting and inhumane. The American Veterinary Medical Association ruled it was too distressing to be used when euthanizing animals back in the year 2000. Kenneth Eugene Smith will be gassed to death with taxpayer dollars using nitrogen hypoxia Thursday at 6 p.m. in Atmore, Alabama. This will be the first execution of its kind in America and the first, as we know of, nitrogen execution of a human in the world. Humans have never killed one of their own with this poison before. Now, he begged the court for mercy. And let me be up front here. He's a murderer. I'm not claiming he's innocent. Back in 1988, Mr. Smith brutally stabbed a woman named Elizabeth Sennett for a thousand bucks. He was hired as a hitman by the woman's husband, Charles Sennett Sr. He was broke. He was afraid that his wife would find out. So he hired this guy, Smith, and one other guy to carry out the killing. He's a loser. He killed a woman. No one's saying that he's innocent. He was supposed to be executed last year by lethal injection, but they couldn't find a clear vein in time before the warrant expired. And they felt bad about that. They wanted to murder him, have the taxpayer dollars go to murder someone because he murdered people. And we have to murder people who murder people to teach children that murdering people is wrong. Now, there's a big debate about the ethics of using an untried method to murder a person. I don't like to say execute. I don't know why we think that it's not murder when the government does it. I'm not as big government as right wing Christians. But again, if this is carried out, this will be the first new method used to murder someone legally since 1982 when lethal injection was rolled out. Now, nitrogen hypoxia is a form of execution where an inmate is deprived of oxygen until they're breathing only nitrogen. They asphyxiate. It's a terrible way to die, but no one's really sure how terrible it is because we've never murdered a person legally this way before. It's suitable in chambers, but he's going to be wearing a mask, which means oxygen could leak in if his body is thrashing around in death throes, which means it'll prolong the procedure. It'll taint the nitrogen hypoxia with oxygen. He will live longer and his death will be more agonizing and torturous. 
Christians are fighting for this. Reverend Jeff Hood is Smith's spiritual confidant. He said he, this is not going to be a peaceful experiment. It's important for people to realize when you strap someone down like that, you can't expect someone who's choking to death, suffocating to death, to not resist. He'll be strapped to a gurney, fitted with a respirator mask, read the death warrant by the warden. He'll be given a chance to give his last words. Then the warden will remotely activate the nitrogen hypoxia system. If the mask's not airtight, he's going to go into a long, prolonged, torturous execution. Could leave him in a vegetative state instead of just killing him. Low oxygen environment could cause nausea, which means he could be lucky enough to choke to death on his own vomit. And as the nitrogen fills his airways and prevents oxygen from getting to his brain, they hope he's going to fall unconscious in a few seconds, and then his organs will start to fail, and he'll die in a few minutes if it goes right. And then after he flatlines, they'll switch off the gas. And if it doesn't happen, the warden will keep on administering the gas for another 15 minutes to make sure he's fucking dead. Now, the Supreme Court denied one stay request today. So they've ruled this is okay. It's going to go ahead tomorrow. His 11th hour request for mercy amid fears over this first of its kind gas method are not serious for the predominantly Catholic court. Now, what is the Christian point of view? Well, Jesus overturns eye for an eye in the Sermon on the Mount. He stops an execution. He says only sinless people may execute. He commands us not to seek vengeance. He commands us to forgive 70 times 7. And if there was no death penalty, who knows? Jesus might still be here. All forms of the death penalty are barbaric. The most important reason to stop the execution is not because of what it does to the body of murderer Kenneth Eugene Smith, but what it does to we as American people. It makes us barbarians, and it makes claims of Christianity a joke. This is why people flee religion. Let's go over to Ohio. Mike DeWine, Republican governor. Last December, you might remember, we praised him. He vetoed this legislation that was restricting medical care for transgender kids. Blocked transgender kids from female sports. The bill prohibits doctors from giving hormones, puberty blockers, or gender reassignment surgery before patients turn 18. Requires mental health providers to get parental permission to diagnose and treat gender dysphoria. Bans trans girls and women from playing on female sports teams. And the GOP, he's the governor. He said decisions about gender transition should be families and their doctors. The rest of the Republicans in Ohio didn't want to hear it. They said, we've got to protect Ohio children from these children. So the House voted earlier this month to overturn DeWine's decision. Today, the Ohio Senate voted to override the veto. House Bill 68 will now become law in 90 days. 24 Republicans backed the override. Only one, Senator Nathan Manning, voted against the bill. It doesn't ban talk therapy. And Ohioans who are already getting hormones or puberty blockers can still do it once it becomes law. As long as doctors determined stopping the prescription would cause harm. A lot of them are scared that healthcare providers will be scared and stop providing them the hormones they need. And it doesn't specify how schools are going to verify an athlete's gender if it's called into question. Players and their families can sue if they think they lost an opportunity because of a transgender athlete. (laughs) Now, uh, here's the deal. There's about 400,000 student athletes playing at the high school level in the state of Ohio. 400,000 student athletes. Seven were transgender girls who were approved to play sports this year by the Ohio High School Athletic Association. Seven trans girls out of 400,000. This is beating up on a minority and pretending it's Christian because cruelty is the point. Gender-affirming care is recognized, my friends. It's a medical practice. It encompasses many different treatments, including therapy, surgery, to help support your gender identity. The American Medical Association confirmed being transgender is not a mental illness. The American Psychiatric Association says it's not a mental illness. And the Jesus parts of the Bible confirm that trans 
discrimination is not Christian. In Matthew 25, he says, however you treat the least of these is how you treat me. You know what else Jesus does? He teaches us how to call out pious mean frauds. They're beating up on a marginalized community of children, and this is why people are fleeing religion. But at this point, my friends, there is no fake Christian, fakerer, than the governor of Texas. You know who I'm talking about, Greg Boom Boom Abbott. Now, what you're, you're saying, wait, whoa, hang on a second. Uh, that, is that fake Christian? I mean, I mean, on the revoltingly anti-Jesus spectrum. Yeah, he is Donald Trump and Mike Pence and Dick Cheney combined. Some strong words for fake Christianism. Well, let's let's talk about it for just a second then. Pull up a chair for this one. This is a very special Texas story. It's actually two. This story is not about Governor Abbott's violent rejection of Jesus's teachings when it comes to the Christian refugees in America's southern border that he believes he owns. And see, uh, Texas exists in this country called the United States. And the United States has laws that say that these migrants can come in, ask for asylum, and then they're granted a hearing. And if they're released on their own recognizance awaiting that hearing... They're not illegal. And if you read the U.S. Constitution, it gives the power to the feds and none to the states for border and immigration. And if you read the Bible, Jesus commands individuals and nations to welcome the stranger. That's the only law in the book about immigration or borders. And Greg Abbott welcomes the stranger by stringing razor wire into the Rio Grande River to cut them up to death. Now, the government told him to stop this because he's literally murdering humans. And, you know, Greg is really pro-life. Now Abbott is using the Texas Guard to defy a Supreme Court ruling. I seem to remember the governor of Arkansas doing this in 1957, and Eisenhower, Republican, federalized the Arkansas Guard to ensure compliance with the law. So the Supreme Court did on Monday. They did it. They, they said the feds can remove razor wire along the border. And Abbott's pretending he's going to defy that ruling? He can't. And his claims of invasion or racist posturing. Again, Greg Abbott does not want to go after the people who do the hiring of undocumented workers in his state. They're safe. So he wants to demonize the poor brown people who cross the border. But they cross the border to work for white people who donate to Greg Abbott. Because those white people who donate to Greg Abbott don't want to pay a living wage to American workers. So Greg Abbott protects his friends who donate to him. He protects the job danglers. This is a Republican governor complaining about what a conservative Supreme Court ruled regarding the issue of immigration. And he's getting closer and closer to secession talk in his border fight with Joe Biden. Today, he claims Texas has an inalienable right to defend itself from invasion. He, did, he said that. And he's accusing Joe Biden of having broken the compact between the U.S. and the states. And he's invoking the Lone Star State's right to defend themselves against the invasion of the southern border. He asserted the executive branch of the U.S. has a constitutional duty to enforce federal laws protecting states. President Biden has violated his oath, blah, blah, blah. And he doesn't mean it. He doesn't mean any of it. If he wanted border crossings to stop, he'd lock up his friends who hire them. But he won't because they give him money. So he locks up the brown people that come to work for his friends. And that's the meanness. Cruelty's the point. But this isn't even about that story. This isn't even about that jewel in Abbott's crown of barbaric, blaspheming bullshit. This is about his abortion ban. Now, if you listen to this show, you know the Bible is not against abortion. Say it again. It's not. Jesus never bans abortion. Judaism never bans it. Yeah, well, what about thou shalt not kill? God asserts a fetus as property in Exodus 21. There are no penalties in the entire Bible for terminating a pregnancy. One time, God kills every fetus on earth and pregnant mom with a flood because he felt that way. But for two generations, since I was a kid, abortion has been the issue that attacked Christianity and ate Christianity and replaced Christianity. Two generations in this country have been groomed to vote against everything Jesus talked about because of abortion, 
which Jesus never talked about. They don't give a shit about helping the poor. They don't care about welcoming the stranger. They don't care about caring for the sick. They care about what they care about, and they care about believing that their Jesus they've invented shares their prejudices. Abortion bans are a war on poor women. They punish poor women with greater poverty, and they give the state the power to force American citizens to be pregnant against their will, and they allow rapists to pick the mothers of their children. And none of that has anything to do with Christianity. And in Texas, there are no exceptions for rape, incest, or health of the mother. So in late 2022, Texas had their abortion ban go through. And I want to play this clip. Chris, we got this one. Greg Abbott said, no, I don't need an exemption for rape victims because I'm going to eliminate rape from Texas. We couldn't believe how stupid and dishonest and brutally cruel it was back then. Listen to it now. Greg Abbott. Why force a rape or incest victim to carry a pregnancy to trial? Uh, it doesn't require that at all, because uh, obviously uh, it provides uh, at least six weeks uh, for a person uh, to be able to uh, get an abortion. And so for one, it doesn't provide that. That said, however, let's make something very clear. Rape is a crime and Texas will work tirelessly to make sure that we eliminate all rapists from the streets of Texas by aggressively going out and uh, arresting them and prosecuting them and getting them off the streets. Are you ready to hear now why that guy is the most fake Christian of all of our governors? Are you ready? Because there was a recent study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, and they checked the numbers and the figures and the crime statistics, and they've estimated that in the 14 states that banned abortion, since the Dobbs decision, 14 months, 14 states, they've estimated half a million women have been raped in those 14 states. They, the researchers estimate more than 500,000 women have been raped in these 14 states since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Of these half million rapes, 65,000 resulted in pregnancies in the 14 states that banned abortion since Roe was overturned. The rest of the rapes, 440,000, didn't result in pregnancy. 65,000 pregnancies came from rape. Nine out of 10 of those pregnancies from rape were in states that have no exceptions for rape victims. And 45% of those rape pregnancies were in Texas. And the number is 26,313. It's kind of long. I'm going to ask you to remember that number, 26,313. When we were kids, we had to remember tons of phone numbers. Those were nine or 10 digits long. We got good at it. We don't really remember long numbers anymore too much, but remember 26,313. That's the number of rape-related pregnancies in Texas within 16 months after the state had a total abortion ban. That is the highest among the 14 states. No exception for rape. 26,313 women have become pregnant from rape in the last 16 months. It's like a thousand per month. And these are just the ones that reported it. Think about that. Think about that, please. 26,313 reported rapes. This is what Democrats warned would happen. This is what independents warned would happen. Republicans are responsible. Greg Abbott is responsible for 26,313 Texas women who are pregnant against their will from rape. This doesn't only speak to the lack of abortion access in Texas. This speaks of the sexual violence in Texas. I mean, we should be talking about the fact that 26,313 women have been raped, but those are just the ones who've gotten impregnated from it. 26,313 women in Texas, American citizens are being forced by Greg Abbott 
to carry their rapist babies. 26,313 women do not have control over their body, but Greg Abbott and their rapists do. 26,313 citizens in Texas have been traumatized by rape and have no choice but to have their rapist baby because Greg Abbott decided they should do that. The study's methodology involved analyzing survey and crime report data from the CDC, the FBI, the Bureau of Justice Statistics, and applying the pregnancy rate estimates from the rape cases. So the state is forcing 26,313 to bear the children of their rapist. Following Texas, the states with the highest estimated totals of rape-related pregnancies include Missouri, Tennessee, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and Alabama. I love all those states. And the study showed in states with rape exceptions, strict gestational limits and law enforcement reporting requirements making it challenging for most survivors to qualify for abortions. Let's break down the numbers really quick. The researchers, this is teams from Harvard and the University of California, San Francisco, estimated 519,981 rapes associated with 64,565 pregnancies in 14 states with total abortion bans during this period. Now, of these pregnancies, 5,586 occurred in states with exceptions for rape, and 58,979 of these rape pregnancies in states without exceptions. 519,000 rapes since Roe v. Wade overturned. 65,000 pregnancies from rape since Roe v. Wade overturned. 58,979 in states with no exceptions. 26,313 were in Texas. It's five times higher than number two, Missouri. Texas is number one in the country in pregnancies resulting from rape. These women have been violated twice. First by the rapist and then by Texas Republicans. Oh, and for all the pro-lifers out there who prostitute the words of Jesus, who ignore his teachings on welcoming the stranger, who ignore his teachings on caring for the least of us, who distort his name to justify their own shitty fucking fake Christian cruelty, to the ones who seek to make women broodmares of the state because adoption's an option, they could always give it up for adoption, always give it up for adoption. Well, get this, for 10 years, between 2010 and 2019, only 53,412 children were legally adopted from the Texas child welfare system. 53,400 over a decade. And we're talking, there's 26,313 rape pregnancies alone in 16 months. I close by quoting St. Paul in Romans 16. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who create dissensions and obstacles. In opposition to the teaching that you learned, avoid them. For such people do not serve our Lord Jesus, but their own appetites. Here's about Trump. And by fair and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the innocent. And that's why Americans are fleeing religion. We will be right back with the great Bob Seska. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. It's an honor to have you with us tonight. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. 
At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, everybody. It's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. Sorry, got a little worked up there. Between the slaughtering of the migrants and the torturing of the death penalty convicts and the 26,313 rape victims forced to carry their rapist baby, thanks to Greg Abbott, I get a little overwhelmed sometimes. That's why I need cooler heads than me, smarter and more brilliant and wiser and more moral and, and if, if, if possible, taller brains than mine, more handsome brains than mine to talk me off the ledge. That is why I turn to a man like Bob Seska, host of The Bob Seska Show, one of the best political podcasts you can get, as well as Trek Politics, regular voice on The Stephanie Miller Show. I recommend his Patreon at patreon.com slash Bob Seska Show. Mr. Seska, welcome back to SiriusXM. You know, John, I might be slightly taller than you, but there's no way I have a cooler head. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> that no, is no. just it's... absolutely uh, an untrue. John's lying. I just want to announce on the show. Just John lied about that. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, I've been dying no to way. talk with you. I've been dying to talk with you about Donald Trump's incredible landslide victory in New Hampshire. That wasn't actually all that impressive. Um, I really don't understand the crowing. I, I, you know, a lot of people are trying to spin this narrative that, OK, well, Democrats uh, filled up that 26 percent. Glenn Greenwald, my old buddy who used to do my show back when he was among the living, uh, said, oh, Democrats voted. It's not legal for Democrats to vote for Republicans in their primary. That's not how an open primary works. It looks like either Donald Trump lost 46 percent of Republicans or lost almost all of independents. Either way, that's a great message going into the general, isn't it? Yeah, his numbers uh, among independents were especially atrocious. And in fact, uh, Republican consultants, especially the ones working in and around Donald Trump's uh, inner circle, should be shitting themselves over the independent voter numbers in, in New Hampshire. But I mean, that's just for starters, because what we saw here was uh, I hate to use this cliche, but a very clear contrast between how Joe Biden did uh, yesterday in New Hampshire versus how Donald Trump did. Or quite honestly, you could go to any president because Donald Trump likes to think of himself as a president. Lawrence O'Donnell was talking about this last night on MSNBC. And uh, because Donald Trump's going into this as a president, then we have to measure him against exactly. previous presidents. And exactly. And when you look at it from that perspective, he did horribly, especially when you compare it to the other president who had a primary or didn't. It was an unofficial primary last night uh, who wasn't even on the ballot. I mean, there must have been two dozen other people. One of them with the first name president was on the ballot. There was a guy That's on right. the Democratic ballot in New Hampshire <laughs> whose first name was president. Now, I'm not sure if that was a uh, official name change or if that's just a nickname or I don't know what the hell that is. But president, I mean, nevertheless, if you're, allowed, anyway, you're allowed to have the name Vermin Supreme up there. So why not president? 
<laughs> right. So you had a, a couple of dozen Democratic candidates and Joe Biden not even on the ballot. Nowhere the near ballot. the ballot. And that the reason for that is and to counteract the uh, Fox News and Marjorie Taylor Greene lies about New Hampshire and the Democrats. Joe Biden deliberately didn't uh, apply to be on the ballot in New Hampshire, mainly because New Hampshire was violating the National Party rules, which dictated that South Carolina would be the first Democratic primary in this cycle. Right. Clearly, because it's got a much more diverse population. And that's always been a concern yes. where Democrats the Democratic are going Party to decided, yeah, they decided, yeah. hey, why shouldn't why, why should an all white state decide who the president's going to be? Why not let a state that looks more like America be the right. first state to vote? I, I personally think they should have five of these on the first day and just do five one day every week, just five at once. Every week has a Super Tuesday. So none mm -hmm. of these states get all uppity like Iowa and New Hampshire. But I, I, I get it. But you're right. Joe Biden wasn't even on the ballot in the state. <laughs> yeah. So you take that into consideration. Joe Biden got 70 percent of the vote yesterday in spite of the fact that he wasn't even on the ballot. Now, you compare that to Donald Trump, who only got, what, 53 percent. And there was only one other person. Well, I don't know if it was just one other. I think there were several other people on the ballot in addition to Nikki Haley. But competitively, it was Donald Trump versus Nikki Haley in that primary for most of the votes. So yes. Joe Biden, again, not even on the ballot did extraordinarily well compared to what Donald Trump did. And and the takeaway from that has got to be Donald Trump's inherent weakness going into the 2024 election cycle officially. So yeah. there, that's just the beginning of what I think is going to be the rapid disintegration of Donald Trump between now and November. I think this Here's is Here's some happen. numbers. Haley yeah. won independence 58 percent to 39 percent. Eighty three percent of Haley voters say they would not consider Trump to be fit for office if he were convicted of a crime. Forty two percent of voters overall said they would not consider Trump to be fit for office if he were convicted of a crime. I mean, last year they said that if he was indicted, they're still showing up for him. So who knows if they mean it? But Fox yeah. News's voter analysis found that 35 percent of New Hampshire's voters would be so dissatisfied with Trump as the nominee that they would not vote for him in November. Now, Bob, mm -hmm. you know, Donald Trump needs a broad coalition to win in November, and he is just not shaking the etch-a-sketch. They just keep auditioning more and more, harder and harder for the cruel MAGA base that they've already got. I don't see yeah. any efforts Beyond Donald Trump saying maybe a six week abortion ban is not a good idea. Beyond that, I see no effort from the entire party to expand their appeal. Yeah, it's staggering that uh, Republican voters and other Republican leaders continue to wrap their arms and legs around Donald Trump's pant leg and just hump away because they're just they're tethering themselves to the Titanic. This is the to use another literary metaphor. This is a. Uh, uh, like a Hemingway old man in the sea situation where Donald Trump is going to get picked to, to pieces over the next uh, however many months it is until November. And that is something that it, that is in, in certain part has to do with him and him being front and center. Now, this hasn't happened since January 6, 2021. Donald Trump has not been front and center in the minds of most American voters from January 6, 2021 until around now. So mm -hmm. between now and this is one of the reasons why uh, or maybe one of the upsides of Nikki Haley not quite uh, uh, taking a, a, some sort of commanding uh, competitive uh, posture in New Hampshire is that we get to see more of Donald Trump. Now, right. I phrase right. that interestingly, like we get to see more of Donald Trump. Now, what that means is 
the people who haven't been really paying attention between what I said, January 6, 2021 and now are now going to be inundated with Donald Trump between now and November around the clock. That giant necrotic head of his like That's a right. rotting pumpkin expectorating insanity into the living rooms of American That's voters right. between now and November. How and refreshing it, it sounds. <laughs> yeah. And those voters are going to go, holy fucking shit. I forgot. I forgot. He's gotten so much worse, hasn't he? And that's going to be the conversation. He's what did he just say that he's what happened to him? I remember him from 2016 or whatever. And what's he saying now? It's just all about presidential immunity and becoming a dictator. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and I, so mean, I don't know what the I don't know what the campaign message is. The campaign yeah. message is revenge. That's it. <laughs> revenge <laughs> right, against the largest. But it's like revenge against the largest majority to ever turn out to vote for a candidate in America's mm-hmm. history. No one ever voted 81 million for anyone or against anyone. And yeah. the whole yeah. message, I guess, is that I really won the last time and uh, woke is bad. And that's the message they're going to be sending. Mm-hmm. Contrast that with Biden, who's going to have a record of saying, no, folks, we really are doing better now than we were when Trump took over. Thing that concerns yeah. when, then when Trump left, rather, thing that concerns me is, of course, um, America's national pastime of amnesia, that people are <laughs> maybe going to forget mm-hmm. how terrible things were in 2020. Yeah, it's staggering to say that, but that's true. A lot of people do forget what a disaster, what an incompetent boob Donald Trump was in the face of the big international crisis that confronted him during his presidency. That was COVID. And he bumbled that. He botched it. 400,000 Americans died in his last year in office. That was a catastrophe of the highest order. Gigantic recession. Not his first recession, though. I always try to remind people there was a manufacturing recession in 2019 right. prior to COVID. That's right. No mm-hmm. one ever talks about it. Manufacturing was stagnant throughout Donald Trump's four years. Yeah. Um, and by the way, speaking of that, since 2021, 20, around 2021, let's say let's go back to 2020, 2019, somewhere in there. There was about, uh, I, I want to say, six billion dollars a month being spent on factory construction during Donald Trump's term, give or take a billion here or there. That's six Hmm. billion a month on factory construction during Donald Trump's presidency. You know what the manufacturing construction expenditures are or the uh, factory construction expenditures are under Joe Biden right now? I do not. No, sir. Eighteen billion dollars a month building new factories, which will employ not only construction workers, but of course, people to work in the factories, management working in the factories, Things being made in the United States at historic levels, there's three times the amount of manufacturing going on in factories under Joe Biden right now than there was under Donald Trump. So that's an enormous accomplishment, and it's obviously going to pay off in continued economic growth uh, and continued job creation. These are all things that we can look at Joe Biden and say, well, that's directly a, a result of Joe Biden's accomplishments. Certainly the uh, the Inflation Reduction Act and the infrastructure, bipartisan infrastructure bill, all the the yeah. uh, the the major accomplishments of the Biden administration so far is literally paying off in, in economic dividends that we can chart on a graph and see just this hockey stick shaped rise in factory construction right now. And it's listen, you an incredible thing to me. Yeah. You had me at lowest unemployment rate in 50 years, plus <laughs> yeah. decriminalized weed at the federal level. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. You had me uh, already. Yeah. Now um, I want to play uh, uh, RNC chairwoman and um, uh, rapist groupie, Ronna McDaniel, <laughs> big fan of a rapist. 
Uh, successful rapist and successful hat salesman Donald Trump. Uh, now, here she is telling Nikki Haley that she should pack it in. Before I play this clip, keep in mind, this is the woman whose job would be she'd be responsible for supporting the nominee, whoever it winds up being. Like if Donald Trump had to drop out due to health or incarceration, this woman's job. Think about everything they accused Debbie Wasserman Schultz of doing to Bernie in 2016 and listen to Ronna McDaniel telling Nikki Haley to pack it in. Looking at the math and the path going forward, and I don't see it for Nikki Haley. I think she's run a great campaign, but I do think there is a message that's coming out from the voters, which is very clear. We need to unite around our eventual nominee, which is gonna be Donald Trump, and we need to make sure we beat Joe Biden. It is 10 months away till the November election, and we can't wait any longer to put our foot on the gas, to beat the worst president, to beat a president that's kept our borders open, allowed fentanyl to pour through, allowed inflation to to go rampant. He is hurting the American people. He let the fentanyl through, Bob, and that's why you've got to vote for a rapist. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Why is it every day I read... Yeah, I, I read almost every day that a record amount of fentanyl is actually being seized at the being border. Seized. That's what we're yeah. hearing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I but, wonder if they're okay. ever going to criticize. Will they ever criticize the people who um, who use fentanyl for bringing it over the border? Is ever right. ever the people who use fentanyl for doing that? I mean, I've my God, the drug war. It's gone mm-hmm. from demonizing drug users to demonizing presidents. Now, Biden, yeah. of course, had a really good day yesterday. We, we can't overstate that. He wasn't even on the ballot. People in New Hampshire had every right to be miffed at the Democrats for not doing it. Uh, he does face challenges. He's bleeding support from minorities. We know with young people, all this bullshit about his age is still there. I'm tired of it. But we're, we're being told, you know, that uh, this is as good as it gets for Joe Biden. I actually feel like this White House should feel really good. They're transferring some staff from the White House over to the campaign right now. But when yeah. all the Biden ballots are done, Biden finished with over 60 percent of the vote. And it's all right in. I mean, it's it's stunning to think about it. Yeah, yeah. And and the, the great thing about what's happening right now with the Biden campaign is the benefit of timing where you have this convergence of not only people feeling the effects of a booming economy. I mean, I think people are really regular voters are really starting to feel the impact of this uh, this economy. I was talking about a second ago when it comes to job creation, GDP, stock market, the S&P. And also at the same time, the convergence includes Joe Biden talking about his signature achievements, which have all juiced the economy significantly. I mean, this is one of those cases where you can draw a direct line between the actual economic indicators and actions taken by the Biden administration and the stewardship of the and its stewardship of the economy. So you're this right. is something that's going to you're going to hear a lot about this over the coming months. And that's going to be contrasted against Donald Trump in court, Donald Trump getting convicted, Donald Trump screaming about how he wants absolute immunity from all kinds of things. And, and then plus, we can contrast the fact that Donald Trump in reality, Donald Trump's economic record was a disaster. Two point yes. nine million jobs lost. Worse, worst since Herbert Hoover. In fact, the worst jobs record in history, in American yeah. history, two point nine, nearly three million jobs lost throughout the course of Donald Trump's four years. And so, again, the contrast couldn't be more obvious between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And we're going to see that. What, what we what we haven't seen for the previous three years since the inauguration is a president who, like Donald Trump before him, was in our living rooms 24-7. Joe Biden is not that kind of president. And, and you know what? He's more of a traditional president, which is 
I know what we need after, especially after Donald Trump. We don't normally, we, in fact, we shouldn't have a president in our lives all the time. We, and we, can, we can't avoid the president. That's not the way things should be. And Joe Biden's been that kind of president. So consequently, we haven't been hearing a whole lot of Joe Biden talking about his signature achievements. Certainly, he's been doing what he needs to do to get the word out to an extent, but not in the form of a campaign. So now that he's in full on campaign mode, we're going to hear a lot more from Biden, Biden surrogates, certainly the vice president and uh, every everyone around them talking about all these uh, achievements. And so suddenly people are going to go. And this wasn't the case, certainly even back in November and December. People weren't hearing about it. But once right. they do, we're going to start to see those numbers climb and things are going to start to correct in terms of what the poll numbers should be given all of these indicators that we've been talking about. So that's all positive news, I think. Okay, I just want to be fair to Donald Trump, uh, because you talked about how, you know, he lost all these jobs. And I just got to be fair, you know, COVID was the cause of losing all those jobs, because Trump mismanaged Uh the pandemic and disbanded the pandemic response team and didn't use the pandemic playbook and never had a plan to get the vaccine distributed and told us to take horse paste and lied every day. COVID (laughs) was the cause for all of that, Bob. And I just want to be fair and and get that out there. What do you make of robo Biden of the AI disinformation robocall? Uh, I kind of feel like this should have been bigger news because this is probably how campaigns are going to be in the future and it's probably going to have to happen to both parties before both parties do something about it yeah this is really we're seeing the sinister side of ai i mean i'm one of those people who i i see the colossal downsides of ai but also some of the positive things that have come out of ai medical advancement technology and so forth that's all going to be good but ai in the hands of consumers and certainly in the hands of uh political operatives and rat fuckers and all those kinds of people is really treacherous as far as uh an election season where democracy is on the ballot and with this joe biden robocall i mean i i haven't seen who's been responsible for it and but i do know that's under investigation this is one of those things where the, the AI voice itself is is wrong and awful and should be illegal. At the same time, yeah. the very existence of AI will also give people like Donald Trump, like Roger Stone, like a lot of these uh, crooks and and and, uh, and and weirdos that circulate around Donald Trump. It'll give them an excuse when there's something that comes out where Donald Trump says something horrendous, like the Access Hollywood tape or something like that. The next version of that, Donald Trump could just say, "Oh, that's AI." Uh, even if yeah. it's not AI, right? So this goes both ways, right? It's AI yeah. that's dangerous in and of itself. And also, can you believe when Crooked Joe Biden put extreme. out a when Crooked Hillary put out a tape of me saying I like to grab women by the pussy? Can you believe that that they they tricked so many people? It was horrible. It was a disgrace. It's a disgrace. He's going right. to do it, and they will believe right. him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's going to give all these guys just a, a great excuse to wiggle out. And of course. Regular people watching in, okay, I guess it is AI. I don't know, and then and it moves on. And so this is uh, this is sort of the treachery that we're going to face in this campaign. And I think this this Joe Biden AI thing in New Hampshire is not the last time we've seen it this year. We're going to see it a couple more times, I think, at least. Uh, both from the perspective of hearing some sort of AI fakery and also from the perspective of people like Donald Trump trying to wiggle out by making AI an excuse. So uh, so those two things are both uh, quite dangerous. Bob, for our final minute or so, uh, as a first world American, I want to give you a chance to express Mm -hmm. your outrage about the Academy Awards in any way you'd like. 
Oh yeah, because oh, I know these God. are the issues that these see, are the issues that matter, and I want to give you a chance to express your rage. Well, see, I, I think I've talked about this on the show before, John. I think Barbie was one of the most important movies, uh, is certainly in the last five years, if not. I mean, I obviously, agree. this this past year, I but, agree. It's going to win the screenplay Oscar. It's, it's going to win it. Yeah, I mean, the and, script and is one brilliant. of the, one of the greatest accomplishments of Barbie is the fact that it even got made with that kind of voice and that kind of message embedded, so subversive, embedded into a movie so about, you know, where the main character is based on a product, a toy. And so it could have just been this lame kind of toy adaptation thing, the summer tent pole that was just a bunch of bubble gum, except it wasn't because of Greta yeah. Gerwig. This is her voice. She is inextricably tied to the success of this movie and to not have her nominated as best director is, is atrocious. I mean, she yeah. deserves that. Even her co-writer tried to say, hey, look, I don't know. I don't know about this thing you're doing. I mean, Margot Robbie was like, it's amazing this got made. How did this get made? And I, I even true. have that question. I'm like, how? Who? It was supposed, and it was supposed to be a completely different movie with Amy Schumer playing Barbie originally before Greta Gerwig yeah. got control of the property. And you know, right. and they wouldn't let it be considered an original script because Barbie and Ken were not characters she created. So it's up for best adapted screenplay against Killers of the Flower Moon, and it's going to win. Oh yeah, and I was I was relieved on the upside. I was relieved to see uh, that uh, America Ferrera got nominated. Me too. Uh, I think Lovely best supporting that. actress because that impossible to be a woman speech that she does in that movie to that's, me that's that's the why it's going to win the oscar the whole yep. thing. yeah again one of the most important things that we've seen in cinema certainly when it comes to you know a big summer blockbuster kind of movie you know when was the last yeah. time that happened with this kind I, of feminist message i don't think it has totally agree completely agree with you bob i love yeah. the film i can't wait to see it again i thought it was much a much braver and more uncompromising mm -hmm. film and script than Oppenheimer. Uh, Bob Seska, how do our listeners follow you and keep up with all your brilliance and doings? Uh, you can search for my podcast on your favorite podcast platform, like Apple Podcasts or whatever, Bob Seska Show, and also at patreon.com slash Bob Seska Show. Bob, you make excellence look easy. Thank you so much for <laughs> joining you. us. Everyone subscribe to Bob's show and his Star Trek show as well. We'll be right back in just a moment with your calls at 866-997-4748. This is SiriusXM. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. We are at 866-997-4748. I'm so pleased to welcome our next guest to the show. As you know, this week we are marking the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And it's very important to remember that the same forces that took away women's reproductive freedoms in this country, the same men who decided that they had the right to force American citizens to be pregnant against their will, they're not done taking rights away, and they're not done using violence to further their agenda. Uh, Julie Burkhardt is the president of Wellspring Health Access and the founder and former CEO of Trust Women. She worked with Dr. George Tiller, and she reopened his Wichita abortion clinic after he was murdered brutally in his church in 2009. Now, in the spring of 22, Wellspring set out to open Wyoming's only abortion clinic, but an arson attack from an anti-abortion terrorist caused $300,000 worth of damage to delay the opening. And Ms. Burkhart and Wellspring have also taken to the front line of the fight against Wyoming's trigger law and the recent near total abortion ban in court. This is someone who's seen the effects of anti-abortion violence firsthand. It is a real pleasure to welcome Julie Burkhart to SiriusXM. Hello. Hello. 
It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to have you. And, you know, there's there's so much bad news. There's so much to be outraged about. Let me begin a bit differently. What has been the most encouraging part of the support you've seen in the past 16 months since the Dobbs decision? Before we get to all the awfulness, what's been inspiring you and giving you hope that the American people are not about to give up rights our mothers and grandmothers enjoyed? Well, that's a great question and something I was just uh, chatting with some other folks about recently. I think what gives me encouragement is that people are more likely to lean into the word abortion. Um, They're more likely to talk about abortion. Uh, People are more likely to talk about later abortion care, which is also something that's incredibly important to women and people in this country. And so that's one thing that gives me hope that that with this space that's been created by these anti-choice zealots that I am hopeful that we will be able to come into that space and create something new and better for people. I think your story is so amazing, the way you work with Dr. Tiller before he was assassinated. And, and as you, you've talked about the violent attacks on the clinics and the providers that are still continuing, what do American citizens need to understand about the reality of trying to provide abortion care for women in the face of all of this intimidation and harassment and often in the face of all this rank violence? Well, I think one thing to let listeners know is that this level of harassment and violence towards abortion providers is just unrelenting. It seems that every corner that um, we turn Um, Whether it's in a state that is um, hospitable to abortion rights or is not, you know, we face grave danger and uh, harassment, uh, violence, uh, sometimes from anti-choice folks. And uh, it's just unrelenting. I mean, to me, you know, reproductive freedom means you have the freedom to make the choice that's right for you, right? Like you have the resources, to make the choice that's right for you. When we use that expression, reproductive freedom, it just implies that a citizen, all citizens, should have the same playing field. I mean, is this a war against poor women? Is this this just a, a scheme to punish poor women with greater poverty? Well, absolutely. This is something that um, we see most dramatically when it comes to people who are poor. Um, We see this most dramatically when it comes to people of color. Um, Also, we see it where we have hostile political, hostile legislatures, I will say, in these states that we call red states. And so now we have the red states, blue states pitted uh, more fervently against the red states. And, you know, those are just and i've done a lot of work in red states and people in those states absolutely deserve to have their rights uh met and honored as well absolutely absolutely but we're looking at a landscape now where you know republicans like donald trump who try to sell this is not a big deal just say well then just go to a state where it's allowed right like that's that's the no big deal line we keep hearing over and over again so it's only the state should decide the state should get to decide and then if you want to get an abortion go to a state where it's legal and it 
seems like madness. Can you explain the, the legal and moral arguments that it's insane to force certain Americans to travel for health care based on where they live? Absolutely. Um, I'm also a co-owner of Hope Clinic in Granite City, Illinois. And one thing that we have seen um, at our clinic there, which is right across the Mississippi from St. Louis, uh, Missouri, Mm -hmm. we used to have people who traveled only a few miles to come and see us. Now, people are traveling on average around 250 miles um, to come see us for abortion care. Um, We also, uh, and this goes for um, the clinics, uh, both in uh, Wellsprings Clinic in Wyoming and also the clinic in Illinois, where, uh, you know, we would see about 30, 35 percent of people who would need assistance. And that has shot up to around 70 percent of people coming who need help with travel, procedure, meals, lodging. Uh, this is a real hardship for people having to travel. How, how does an American citizen do it? How does an American citizen who doesn't have the resources or the ability to get time off from a job or the car to travel state lines? I mean, these are the things that our media doesn't talk about and doesn't ask questions about when you have to actually have the wherewithal to cross state lines to say nothing of being able to p- afford a procedure and find where to go for a procedure when there's so much disinformation about safe places for safe treatment. Yes. Well, first, you know, one has to, you know, people typically will get on Google and uh, do searches and, you know, hopefully people will be able to navigate themselves to then, you know, one of the clinics they could see or a site that will help them to navigate. Um, I my heart goes out to the folks who are unable to do that. And then if people see how much a procedure costs and they know they have to travel, you know, it's hard for people to ask for help. So if people aren't willing to make that initial phone call and ask for help, um, my heart goes out to those folks because um, there is assistance available. But, you know, what I say is you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, and, And so, you know, we do our best at our clinics to um, help people navigate uh, through those different um, funds that would help them with travel, procedure, meals, lodging, you know, but sometimes we're just not always able to help everyone. Of course. But you're also you're in the courts right now fighting Wyoming's trigger law, as well as their near total abortion ban. And I'm curious, how's that been going? I know so far you've been victorious at keeping abortion legal in the state. Can you tell us a bit about that battle and a bit about Wyoming's trigger law? Uh, Yes. Um, So presently uh, we had a summary judgment hearing on December 14th in Teton County District Court in Wyoming. And right now we are awaiting the judge's opinion uh, to come down after that hearing. Um, She did not give us a date. And so um, I think we're all waiting on pins and needles to see how how that turns out. Um, Whoever prevails in the case um, would then, if... um, if, if the per, if the party that did not prevail, they would then 
um, have to take it upon themselves to appeal to the Wyoming State Supreme Court. So that would be the next step in the process. In Wyoming, we had a a trigger ban pass in March of 2022 before Roe fell. And then in 2023, the legislature passed a medication abortion um, ban and also a bill that said that abortion uh, would be outlawed because abortion is not health care. Of course. And so <laughs> those are the three bills that um, we've been up against. I, I must say one of the strongest indicators to me that the modern right wing doesn't actually care about preventing abortion is the fact that none of them are advocating for comprehensive sex education in our schools. I mean, isn't that an essential part of any journey towards reproductive justice? And and, and if the right wing cares so much about reducing the number of abortions, because we don't have an unwanted uh, an abortion problem, we have an unwanted pregnancy problem. Abortions are a symptom of that. But they don't really seem very serious about slowing down unwanted pregnancies if they're hell-bent against sex ed. Absolutely. And I was just talking about this this last Sunday, <laughs> um, that if we had you know, broad access for our youth um, so that they could receive um, accurate sex education, if we had broad access to contraceptive care, you know, this would lower um, the abortion rate, the very thing that the anti-choice folks um, so fervently rail against. Um, mm -hmm. But that's up for grabs uh, by them as well. And so this is, you know, this is another indicator that, you know, this this is not about protecting babies. Um, this is not about making sure that women and people who might give birth are safe. Um, this is about who's going to have the power to decide how you live your life and conduct yourself. Absolutely. So let me ask you the million dollar question then, because this is what's keeping me up at night. Last week at a town hall, the former host of Celebrity Apprentice bragged that he was proud about his role in overturning Roe v. Wade. And um, I can't wait to see the Democrats run ads and use that a lot. But we can't forget, they really do want a national ban. And I'm seeing in the media a lot of Republicans listening to Trump's advice, trying to water down their abortion stance because they see that it's not popular. How wary should we be of these Republicans who are trying to shift the narrative and not talk about abortion? I, you know, I, I just kind of feel like as soon as they're elected, they're going to try and implement a national ban. And it doesn't matter what they're saying right now. Yes. What we're seeing right now is what I like to say is smoke and mirrors. Um, they will absolutely do a bait and switch uh, once uh, reelected or, God forbid, elected. And so... You know, Americans need to pay very close attention to this election cycle. I believe this is one of the most critical, if not the most critical election cycle in our nation's history. We absolutely must have candidates um, who are then elected into office who are going to look out for the rights of all people in this country and not relegate certain people to second-class citizenship. Amen. As, as you have pointed out beautifully, let me quote you, banning abortion doesn't actually stop them from happening. It forces people into unsafe 
situations. Julie Burkhardt, how can our listeners find out more about your work and the work of Wellspring Access? Uh, yes, uh, folks can go to our website, wellspringaccess.org, and um, can learn all about our clinic and what we provide uh, here in the Mountain West. And I mean, I just want to say that I'm so proud of our staff, um, all of the people who have supported us to get our clinic open so that that we can um, provide care for people here in the West. And thank you for all the work you do. You make me proud to be an American. Please come back anytime. It's really an honor to have you. Thank you. I would love to. Thank you. Brilliant. We'll be right back. The God Squad is waiting in the wings, and uh, the theologians have a thing or two to say about abortion access in this country as well. We're at 866-997-4748. We'll be right back. Yeah, so it's a crazy day. It's a really crazy day ecclesiastically. We get this report that now nuns are the largest growing religious group in America, bigger than Mormons. I've been saying it for a while. The largest growing religious group are people who were raised religious and now consider themselves spiritual. But we found out today it's 28%. There's more unaffiliated than there are Catholics or evangelical Protestants. We found out today Alabama is going to try to murder a person using a drug that has never been used before. And the Supreme Court said, go ahead, we're all Catholic. We know today that Greg Abbott in Texas is responsible for 26,313 pregnant rape victims being forced by the state to carry their attacker's child. We learn this the same day. He's almost declaring war against the United States because his Christianity is so deep. He wants to string razor wire through the Rio Grande River to slaughter the migrants Jesus commands us to welcome. And Ohio just overrode their Republican governor's veto so they can persecute trans children because the cruelty is the point. Folks, I need people who are smarter, wiser, and better Christian folk than me to make sense of these flock-fleecing Pharisee frauds, and thank God we have the God Squad on hand. I love this segment. We get your letters. We know you do, too. Keith Giles is a former pastor who left the pulpit to follow Jesus and start a house church where no one takes a salary and 100% of all offerings are given to help the community's poor. He is the author of several great books, including Jesus Untangled. He's the co-host of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Keith, it's great to have you back. It is so good to be here. Uh, pastor December Rose Waddleton is an author, a poet, a spoken word artist, and former pastor of the Restoration Center in Greenville, South Carolina, and the Rock Worship Center in West Union, South Carolina. She is also the author of The Church Can Go to Hell, and I pray to this woman at night. She is that powerful. December Rose, it's good to have you back. Hello. Lord, I hope you ain't praying to me. Them prayers are not getting answered. Not unless you want some red beans and rice. I can answer that prayer. How you doing? You you should read the emails I get. There's people people willing to pray to you if you start a new church. They'll just go ahead and sell you as an icon. (laughs) Dylan Cruz is a writer, a theologian, and a permaculture enthusiast from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He uh, is the author of a terrific book I highly recommend, Theological Musings, Volume 1, which is a thought-provoking collection of essays uh, which cover many political, environmental, and spiritual issues in the U.S. and around the world. Mr. Dylan Cruz, it is a pleasure to have you back. Always a pleasure to be here, John. Well, let's talk a little bit uh, about Project Blitz. Um, and a few people may have heard of, uh, about um, Project Blitz, and uh, but I'd like you to uh, elaborate a little bit for us if you could. Yeah, um, I read the entire 116-page Project Blitz playbook today. Okay. And 
Yeah, y'all don't have to do it now. And it's it's basically analogous to that which comes out of the northbound end of a southbound horse. Uh, (laughs) Horse shit. So a lot of it is historically cherry-picked. And then there's these studies, uh, quote-unquote, that that they use to prove that, that biblical traditional views on LGBTQ folks are right, but also to try to couch it in this language that says it's right for the scientific and social science reasons. Exactly. Exactly. There, there is a coordinated effort by Christian nationalists to try to put right wing fake Christianity into public education by attacking everything they don't like. And it's usually stuff that Jesus never mentions. Right. And one of the things that I learned, so I, I you know, I do I try to do due diligence as a person with some critical thinking skills. So I looked up the people that were behind these studies that kept coming up over and over again in the footnotes. And one of them, a geneticist said that the scientific journal that they published that in was analogous to the National Enquirer and that it was (laughs) mostly cherry-picked balderdash. And then the other, the sociological study that that said that kids that grew up in same-sex parent homes, so two dads, two moms, whatever, had far more problems uh, than kids that grew up in heteronormative homes. So interesting. But that study was debunked by other sociologists that said it had huge methodological flaws. So everything that was predicated on those sections was bogus. But it's all for the bubble, right? Like they don't care. They'll be refuted by outside sources and they won't care because it's all for brainwashing and grooming more white people in the bubble. They're just trying to find vulnerable people to fleece and program. And you can call them out all you want. You can try to deprogram. You can talk about the facts and what the Bible really says. But Dylan, at the end of the day, they don't care because their community's insulated. They're not going to be exposed to critical thinking, right? This is how they perpetuate well, this. Yeah, and that that's the key thing. There there's some really insidious stuff in there like declaring the year of the Bible and calling the Bible God's word. Well, as a theologian, I want to know what God was drunk when all that happened because the Bible's got some crazy stuff in it. Uh and oh, yes. that's going to get me in trouble, I'm sure. No, we should do it. Can we do a topic next week of like what is the most batshit thing in the Bible that right-wing Christians don't want to talk about cuz yes, I got a list. Absolutely. Oh yes. The oh, hum- the it. humans who mate with fallen angels and give birth to giants who walk around the earth. That shit's oh. in the book of Genesis. They never bring that up. I'd love <laughs> right. to talk about this topic sometime. Well, I also want to ask you, if I could, about this uh, pastor in Ohio who runs a 24-7 homeless ministry. I, I, I discovered this story, and I've actually written to the guy trying to book him, but it's it's a pretty sick story. I'm, I'm sure you, you've all heard about it, but um, this is a guy in Ohio who, who runs the Dad's Place Church. His name is uh, Chris Avell. He's the pastor, and apparently he's in trouble with the law because he wants to um, use the church to care for the poor. Am I getting this right? Yeah. Yes. Anyone yeah, want to jump it, in? I don't tell me. Yeah, it, it it's one of these things where it really makes no sense. You know, it's one of these things where, you know, I guess sometimes people forget, you know, Jesus says, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done it for me. Um, but I'll say, you know, kudos to this pastor in Ohio. This is real religious persecution, by the way. This is this is the real yes. stuff. When someone's actually trying to follow the, the teachings of Jesus, they're actually trying to care for the outcast, the poor, the widow, the orphan, and then they get in trouble, you know, for doing that. And uh, so God bless this guy. I wish him all the best. You know, I, I, it reminds me, there's a friend of mine, Shane Claiborne in Philadelphia, 
who ran into something very similar to this, where the the church was getting you know uh, in trouble with the city, and uh, they went before a judge and all that. And uh, the way they got around it was really genius. What they did was they decided to run a uh, 24-hour revival service, which began yeah. at 5 p.m. with communion, which was pizza and Coca-Cola, and was followed by an eight-hour silent meditation. Um, and so th in that case, they got out of it because the judge uh, applauded them for their creativity um, because you know, he, he can't rule that the church can't have a revival service. Um, it's kind of brilliant. Prayer service. But so, yeah, so, this kind of thing is, yeah, it's, it's really troubling, but at least this is someone who's getting in trouble for being an actual Christian. Well, yeah, I mean, um, he's letting this is good trouble. Oh, go ahead, December. Please go ahead, please. I'm sorry. This is good. This is good trouble. I'm trying to remember our, our beloved uh, senator that, or was congressman that yeah. said that. Um, but the thing is, what didn't, I don't, this is a late breaking news, I guess. I'm not sure how long ago, but he actually filed a lawsuit, a yes. federal lawsuit. Um, against the city and the police officers restraining them. And, and he has a GoFundMe uh, for $40,000 for these legal expenses. They've raped 29000 so far. And I that's think cool. that's so awesome. This is what you could call radical hospitality. You know what I mean? Uh, as yes, far as yes. Yeah. Why would the response, and I pro I'm certain that 99% of the folks that are, you know, harassing this ministry are probably self-declared christians but why oh, yeah. would the response to this radical hospitality be 18 counts of whatever they came up with why wouldn't it be let us help you let us see what resources the city has to help Thank you to you. be in code let us see whatever empty buildings we might have let us re let us help you uh by linking up with the y or whoever someone else that we can help you yes uh, to manage this issue why wouldn't that be the response versus we're mm -hmm. going to file charges against you you got to think about that but we've talked about he's this. He's not like Pastor. he's this doing is, something, you know. Why was that the response? Let us bring you up on charges. Eighteen charges. But this is this is how they operate. This is how look look at how they approach racism. They never attack racism. They attack the people who want to do something about racism. If you're yes. anti-racist, they call you woke and mock you. They get upset at Colin Kaepernick's knee. They don't get upset at Derek Chauvin's knee. And this is no different. They're not upset Ooh. that there are homeless among us. They're upset that this pastor is trying to do something about it. They're not interested in helping. They're mad at him that he's doing something rather than be yeah, outraged at the fact that we allow homeless to exist. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like Woody Guthrie said in that one song, if, if Jesus were to come back, they'd lay him right back in his grave. Oh yeah. yeah, police filed 18 criminal charges against this church, against this pastor. And it's already, it's next, it, it sits next to a homeless shelter as it is. The metaphor yes. is insane. But he's talked about how, you know, police officers would bring homeless people by. The local hospital would call and bring people by. Other homeless shelters would call and bring people by. And this church has a policy. They'll let anyone stay in the church overnight. And it doesn't ask them to leave unless they say there's a biblically valid reason for asking them to leave or if someone's a danger. So, yeah, as you pointed out, Keith, from 11 p.m. to 8 a.m., like they'll have like a refresh in, in the Lord ministry and they, they play Johnny Cash reading the Bible. Yes. Like they just they just play it softly. So it's right. a show and there's an event going on and mm -hmm. homeless people can get warm and even sleep in this place and be in safety. Yeah. It's really unconscionable, what especially knowing that? that there's sub-zero temperatures right now where people are freezing to death. Uh, again, as, as December was saying, it makes no sense why the city would, would, instead of attacking this man, they should be throwing as much resource as they can at him and anyone else, any other churches in the area willing to do the same. If their concern was for the lives of human beings on the street, 
unfortunately, again, they don't treat them as human beings. They treat them as a problem. God, you're right. You're right. I mean, Dylan, this to me seems like the kind of story smart Democrats would pick up and run with. Even smart, humane Republicans would pick up and run with this story because it literally is the state persecuting people of faith for following the teachings of Jesus. Although I guess the problem is that fundamentalist Christians, they don't like the teachings of Jesus. They like their pretend makeup shit that they think Jesus said, being mean to trans kids, being mean to gay people, being mean to migrants, uh, being mean to feminists and women who have abortions, but the actual care for the, the poor? I mean, literally, a, a smart politician can run on this, Dylan, don't you think? Well, you would, yeah, I, I agree 100%. And you would think that any politician that has ever referenced faith at all would be immediately doing a photo op with that mm-hmm. pastor at that church and, mm-hmm. and asking and getting a staffer to ask some of the homeless uh, people experiencing homelessness how that ministry has positively impacted them. Yes. yes. Because, again, yeah. this is a pastor who's actually following the teachings. Yeah. Exactly. And it, it, it does boggle my mind that that any city ordinance would say, no, you can't help homeless people. But we know how homeless people are treated. They put spikes on benches. They they take them out of town. So this this reeks of a not in my backyard. I don't want dirty, smelly, homeless people. Exactly. Yes. And I just read this story about a pastor who got hired at a new church and he disguised himself as a person experiencing homelessness. Mm. And he went in and he sat down in the back and only a handful of people came and said hello and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, somebody (laughs) got up and said, we're going to welcome our new pastor. And everybody's looking all around, looking all around. And then he just walks up. Mm-hmm. Whoa, I love this story. That's like the greatest undercover boss Mic drop episode <laughs> yeah. I've ever heard. And he just he read he read a scripture and then he walked out. I'm sorry, Sibber. I'm sorry to say they gave me chills actually. Can you imagine? And this is for those who have who are screenwriters and um yeah. you know the right place. But can you imagine if Jesus came to the church yeah. as an undercover boss? Yes, well, right. if Jesus mm-hmm. came to the oh, church, he'd he'd be a brown-skinned homeless guy who speaks no English. They they ship right. him off to Juarez right away. That's right. They put yeah. him on a plane or they drop him off in the middle of Chicago or New York or whatever they're doing these days. Yeah, where your papers? Where your papers, Jesus? Hmm. Put on some shoes. Um, we are, by the way, at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Keith, I know that you wanted to talk about the the, the, the Bernie Sanders bill from last week uh, regarding um, Israel and uh, and Gaza. Yeah, um, thank you, yes. Um, well, it was one of these things where we didn't have time for it last week, but um, yeah, here's the thing. It turns out the most Christian senator on Capitol Hills is an 80-something-year-old uh, Jewish man. Um, yes. And I just want to say, God yes. bless Bernie Sanders. Yeah. They, they said you could never make a Jewish socialist president. I'm like, we celebrate the birthday of one every December 25th. We take the day yeah, off. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So uh, thank you, Bernie Sanders, for being the only one willing to stand up and kind of do the Jesus thing. Um, and so, you know, he attempted to do something really good. Unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't pass. Um, but, you know, he, he attempted to pass a bill that all it was really asking uh, the U.S. government to do was to um, have the State Department investigate uh, Israel for, crime, for war crimes in Gaza, as, and which, by the way, is something that's actually supposed to be done with any nation that the U.S. government provides aid to. That's it. Aid. Yeah. That's, did, so it's did not Bernie Sanders, Did Bernie Sanders, did he call for cutting 
one dime from U.S. No. military support? Brisbane? No? no. No funding no. cut at all. Just this. No, Just investigate to see if they were committing war crimes. Right. And the response, even from uh, some Democrats, sadly, um, in response to the, the reasons they voted against it, they said, well, because effectively, um, they, in their words, that this this uh, bill, if it had passed, would have cut off aid to Israel. And so it was a tacit admission that they knew that if they were to investigate, that they would find war crimes and then they would be forced to cut off the, the aid. Um, and that might... And that might force uh, some donors to cut off the funding, the politicians, so it can never happen. Of course, exactly. And that's why they really care about shutting this down. Um, But I just thought it was really great that Bernie at least tried to do it. He brought some attention to it. And even by bringing attention to it, even though it didn't pass, um, it allowed for some of that to kind of come under the spotlight and for people to see that those those who opposed it and the reasons why. And really, in opposing it, they're giving away the fact that they know um, that there are abuses going on. Can I ask you three, as as smart, evolved, spiritual people who aren't full of crap, um, how how are you emotionally handling this destructive, horrible war? You know, I I see it being used by the worst chaos agents in the world to divide us. I see it being used to divide the left in ways that are shocking to me. And I, I, I guess I'm a simpleton. I keep saying Hamas and Netanyahu both prove the same truism that putting extreme religious conservatives in power always leads to the opposite of what the holy books teach. To me, this is just another lesson in why, you know, it's the liberal and moderate Christians, Jews and Muslims get along just fine. You put the extreme right wing ones in power anywhere, and it's going to be violence, 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 and repression of women, repression of gay people, repression of sexuality, time and time again. I I think, I think, Hamas has more in common with Netanyahu than they do with liberal Muslims, and Netanyahu has more in common with Hamas than he does with liberal Jews. How do you guys stay sane during this war, especially because it seems like this is Netanyahu's stay-out-of-jail plan, and it's never going to end? Yeah. Mm. For me, it's just so sad. I cannot watch too much coverage of it myself, um, just because my heart is so broken by it when I'm thinking of 20 something thousand, I think it's getting up to 26, 27,000 or more. And that's probably an understated number anyway, um, of Palestinians that have been murdered uh, as a result of this war. I I come from a really small town called Moses Lake, Washington. I was born and raised in a little town called Moses Lake, Washington. That town even now is not that much above 25,000. And I think about that, think about raising and, you know, executing every single man, woman, and child in the whole town that I was raised in. And that's the equivalent of what's happening. And what I see from what's going on in uh, with Israel, Gaza, even what's going on here in the United States, what's going on in Ukraine with Russia, no, everywhere you look, uh, we're, the, we're the conscious of man, and I don't mean man as in male, but just I, men, yeah, you know. I get you. Where the conscious of man is the compass, there there's always going to be chaos. There's always yes. going to be chaos. If and I feel it's so disheartening and so discouraging, I cannot consume it too much because it it just makes me so heavy. My heart and this is this is one of those situations where you say my thoughts and prayers, but they have so turned that phrase into something so useless and meaningless. I even. I almost hate to say it, but in this kind of situation, that is all that I can offer, our thoughts and prayers. And so my thoughts and prayers are with those. 
uh, with the Palestinians. And even those, not everyone in Israel is a monolith either. They, they don't all exactly. think that all the Palestinians yeah. should, you know, die or whatever the craziness. Exactly. And we got to understand that. But one thing we cannot do, and this is the, that Christian nationalist thing, one thing we cannot do is absolve Netanyahu and Israel from yeah. all you know, from all exactly. responsibility to nobody's trying to possible. No one's and trying to absolve Hamas. Like no, nobody's trying right. to absolve Hamas. No one's making excuses for the atrocity and terrorism and evil mm-hmm. Nazi violence of Hamas. But yeah, it's not like Netanyahu is the rational actor here. We know for a fact no. he kept them in power and propped him up because he needed a bad guy to keep his ass out of jail. His uh, hands Dylan, are dirty. I don't care what anybody says. Dylan and Keith, how are how are you keeping your your heart sane, your mind sane during this time? It's difficult if you pay any attention. And and last week I watched all of the opening statements of the South African uh, legal team at The Hague uh, on YouTube. Yeah. And the case that they laid out for genocide is monumental. I, 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 don't think that anybody with a reasonable capacity of intelligence could listen to this legal team's uh, outlining of the horrific nature of of the rhetoric where they showed Israeli government officials conflating every Palestinian with Hamas. And they showed Israeli soldiers blowing up whole blocks of you know, homes and villages and then singing and dancing about, you know, crazy warmongery Old Testament smiting bullshit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if a 2000 pound bomb landed anywhere in the lower 48, every fucking American in the in the country would be automatically saying ceasefire 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 That's true mm-hmm. and we're and we're letting them so when jeremiah wright said goddamn america in 2008 he was using his prophetic voice talking mm-hmm. about the most violent uh modern empire in the world and that's yep. the united states and israel is becoming because of our machinations in the, in the middle east and because of christian nationalists who Again, think that the rapture is going to happen if we if we blow up the That's right. the Middle East. Um, mm-hmm. You, it's so if G, if God was going to smite America, it would because be because of violence. It wouldn't be because trans kids have rights. Right. Oh, or that gay God, people can get married. God's, God's going to let us off the hook for slavery and the Indians, but He's really mad we're nice to trans children. I completely get it. Uh, yeah. yeah, my <laughs> my God, just saying it out loud. You know, December. I wanted to ask you about um, Tim Alberta's new book, "The Kingdom, the Power, and the Glory." I read an excerpt of it in the Atlantic, and it was pretty painful. Uh, this guy at his own father's mm-hmm. funeral. You know, the pastor of his childhood church, and having his his whole belief system questioned by right wing guys. Because he dared to publish something that told the truth about Donald Trump and the gospel. His story, I watched his interview uh, on The View, and he was also on MSNBC not that long ago. And I just, he, what's happening with him is, the, is like the epitome of the rot of the GOP and also of the evangelical white nationalist Christian, whatever they want to call themselves. 
this is a PK, right? So he's a preacher's kid. His dad is a pastor. He grew up in church all his life. His father dies. He goes to the funeral and he's basically treated like he has leprosy, right? Yeah. Uh, his dad's his, funeral. His, his dad's, his father's funeral, who was a pastor, right? All these people are there and they're treating him like he, like he the one crucified Jesus, right? Because, yeah. you know, they have basically... Uh, turn Trump into Christ some kind of way. The Cheeto Jesus. I heard somebody called Trump Cheeto Jesus and that <laughs> never have left me. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's going to be with me forever and ever. But they they basically crucified him. They, they, you know, made him the devil because he decided to tell the truth about the that's devil. Right. Because I consider Trump a, a operative of the of Satan, but you know, and it's just amazing to me. You're at a pastor's funeral, and he said this during the interview. He said, "If they're treating me like this, I'm the pastor's son, mm-hmm. and he's, I'm 50 feet away from the casket of my father, and my salvation and my belief in God, my relationship with God Himself, is being questioned based off of the truth that I told about Donald Trump." That's I can only imagine what how they're treating other people. This is how they're treating me at a funeral. My father's funeral, who is the pastor. And I, I thought I about gotta, that. I was like, ain't no telling how they're treating other people. <laughs> These people have lost their minds. They lost their whole minds. And they have sold so right. their soul for this man. Keith, I got to bring you into this as well, because this is something that you've talked about and written about so beautifully. Yeah. Um, well, it's just one of those things where I was watching uh, the interview uh, with this guy talking about this and... Um, he made a comment about how, you know, people are coming around him and saying that, well, you must not be a Christian anymore because you don't, you know, support Donald Trump. And mm-hmm. and I've heard that myself so many times. I just don't understand this. I don't get this. How they haven't any- read the Gospels, Keith. They haven't yeah. read the book. Yeah, Anti-abortionism you- has replaced Christianity. Criminalizing really has. abortion has two generations been, been, been being a drag show pretending to be Christianity. And two generations mm-hmm. of Christians have grown up thinking putting women in jail for something Christ never mentioned is what Christ was all about. Right. Yes. And because, again, to them, Christian <laughs> just means, are you in this club? But yeah. it doesn't mean, are you like Christ? Are you someone who is following the teachings of Jesus? Because there is nothing. I mean, if you held up, you know, Donald Trump on one side and had Jesus on the other and tried to find any connecting points, what is it that that I do? I know you want to follow Jesus. I know you have to follow Trump. They both hung out with prostitutes. Yes. And they both used ghost writers. That's the connection. I've been through. (laughs) That's that's all I can find, man. Yeah, I think you may be right. That's about it. So, yeah, I just I don't understand it. I've never understood it. And I think that's why your work. That's why your work means so much to me, the three of you, because it's what I try to do, which is, you know, you don't have to believe in the Bible as literal fact to take it away from these frauds because they use Mm -hmm. it for camouflage. They use it as armor to appear virtuous when in reality they are all fighting for the opposite of the book. So, uh, you know, I've had it with this. This guy is fighting more for the teachings of Jesus than these Trump supporters who are embracing the opposite because there's two groups. We call you Christian, right? These people, you can either be a Jesus follower or you can be part of unauthorized Jesus fan club. That's it. Mm-hmm. Unauthorized fan club or a follower. And there's not a, overla- a lot of overlap between those two books, those two, those two teams. That's exactly there right. You know. And this well, is Jesus, what happens. This is what it looks like. I'm sorry, Dylan, go ahead. Well, Jesus said a prophet is always without honor in his own hometown. Mm. And, and, there you go. And Tim Alberta was using his prophetic voice through the writing of that book. And, right. and he mentioned in that interview how... 
a lot of evangelical thinkers uh, like Mike Johnson, for instance, think that Trump is God's man, uh, you know, with God's plan. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Tim said, well, really, I think that God was testing the evangelicals and they failed. Yes. And and that's exactly right, because if you if you hold up somebody like Trump and you say that this is the guy, but then who is literally nothing like Jesus, as we've talked about yeah. at infinitum on this show, then you have you, the whoosh. The point just went flying right over your fucking head. Yeah. Boom. Guys, we got to go. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Thea. I'm John Fugelson. Keep it tuned to Sirius XM Progress. Peace. <laughs>